May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Please be seated. The Samaritan neighbor is a familiar passage. We all know the message, right? Love your neighbor. Now, you might have noticed that I did not call the Samaritan a good neighbor. Nowhere in the text is he actually called good. This passage has an uncomfortable undercurrent. This passage pokes at what we choose not to notice or not to see. In this gospel story, everyone is wrong about something. Everyone but Jesus. There is an invitation to notice how much we need mercy, how difficult it can be to love your, your neighbor, and how much we rely on God's forgiving grace. The best description I have ever found about what I'm trying to talk about is in this book, a book about the science of storytelling. In this text, the author argues nobody is right about everything. And then he invites us into a thought experiment that I would like to apply to our gospel story. Here are his words that remind us that everyone is wrong about something. He says, think about the people who are closest to you. There isn't a soul among them who you've never disagreed with. You know she's slightly wrong about that, and he's got that wrong, and don't get her started about that. For the further you travel from the people you admire, the more wrong other people become until the only conclusion you are left with is that entire tranches of human population are stupid, evil, or insane. Which leaves you. The single human living who is right about everything. The perfect point of light, clarity, and genius, which burns like godlike luminescence at the center of the universe. I'm, I am quoting. Hang on, he says. That can't be right. You must be wrong about something. So you go on the hunt. You count off your most precious beliefs, the ones that really matter to you, one by one. You're not wrong about that. And you're not wrong about that. And you're certainly not wrong about that and that and that. The insidious thing about our biases, errors, and prejudices is that they appear real and true. These images poke fun, and they are correct. We don't usually know when we're wrong. If we knew and understood that we were wrong, we would change to be right. We just don't know when we are in error, when we are prejudiced or biased or wrong right now. If we truly realized our errors, God have mercy, 
we would change. So then, the question becomes, how do we love ourselves knowing that we are wrong about important things? We are as flawed as every other individual in the world. For example, as flawed as all the characters in our gospel story today. Let me tell you the story of the Samaritan again with more modern terms of reference that do justice to the historical accuracy. So, set in now, but to give people the flavor and the stereotype that Jesus was hinting at. One day, a person of deep faith stepped into the path of Jesus. He was a lawyer and a man with all the privileges of a person who has the right colored skin, the right family, and the proper education. This person knows all the correct answers and is willing to tell you what the right answer is. Yeah, this man has authority, both given to him and honestly earned. He attends church regularly, tithes, studies the Bible deeply, and prays earnestly. This person of faith is certain that they know God. This lawyer is confident that they are doing everything correctly and right. They have proof. They follow all the rules. If the roadway says drive 50 kilometers an hour, they drive 50 kilometers an hour. If the government says get vaccinated, they get vaccinated. If the Bible says men are apostles, then only men are apostles. This is the man who steps into the path of Jesus to test Jesus. The lawyer asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a particular tone to his question. Every person in this room knows this voice. It is the sound of a lawyer in a specific position asking a question, but they're not really asking a question. Really, they are preparing to blast into an explanation that shows you how very clever and important they are, not a question a launch pad into their very own lecture that proves to everyone here that this lawyer is smart and right about everything. And Jesus knows. Jesus can also hear that tone of voice. Still, Jesus chooses to play the game and asks, what is written in the law? The lawyer, a person of both law and deep faith, knows the correct answer and is quick to show off. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Yep, everyone agrees. Jesus agrees. And, if you can imagine it, the lawyer puffs up a little more. Even the teacher Jesus agrees with him. Imagine an ego enlarging like a puffer fish and floating on self-importance. And in that know-it-all important voice, this person of earnest faith asks, Who is my neighbor? We all know that this man thinks he knows the right answer, the technically correct thing to say next. Actually, he's already taken a deep breath to launch into a legalistic version of the technical definitions of neighbor, only this time, Jesus 
interrupts. This time Jesus answers by telling his own story, a story that might sound like this if Jesus was telling the story today. A man was walking through deepest, darkest Surrey. When he fell into the hands of a gang, they robbed him of his credit card, debit card, keys, and car. They took his phone. They stripped him, they beat him, they left him half dead and naked by the side of the road. The first few people who drove by didn't even see him. They were busy chatting on their phones, changing songs, or watching the road. They didn't even see what was safely outside their line of traffic. Then, along came an Anglican priest in a spiffy new haircut and a tidy old car. She saw him, but chose not to look too closely. She was on her way to a garage sale. Suppose she stopped. Who would open the church and pray for the people? People were waiting for her. They really were relying on her. She switched lanes and carried on. Shortly after that, along came a church volunteer driving a Prius. He was a chair of all of the church meetings. He was that person who knew all of the Rupert's rules for every official event. He saw the body, but this church volunteer took all the training, including first aid. He knew Surrey had a problem with gangs. Do you know what they say in first aid? The first essential step in first aid is always your own safety. This mess that he saw, this mess did not look safe. So he switched lanes and he drove away. But then along came a free Canada supporter in a pickup truck decked out with Canadian flags and rude sayings about the Canadian prime minister. He was driving 30 in a 50-kilometer zone and holding up traffic. He did not have his vaccines. He was honking his horn and yelling about freedom. His partner was a woman who ran her own business. No church was ever going to tell him that women couldn't be leaders. And he was sure that God agreed with him about everything. Because after all, he was right about everything. He stopped. When he saw the man on the side of the road, his heart was moved with pity. He took out his handy-dandy first aid kit, put on his medical gloves, because safety first, and bandaged up the wounds to stop the bleeding. He called 911, but when the dispatcher suggested there was a delay, the Freedom Convoy protest was snarling up local traffic, It would be a while before an ambulance could get there. This Free Canada supporter put his pit bull in the back seat and settled the bleeding naked man next to him on the bench seat. He laid this man's head on his knees and muttering gruff assurances took off at great haste to the hospital. At the hospital, the receptionist was dismayed by the lack of ID. This half-naked man might not even be Canadian. Who could tell who he was 
or where he came from. The Free Canada supporter left his own name and credit card as assurance. And I ask you, who was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? We commonly put ourselves into the characters we hear in a Bible story. But who would you want to be in this story? The annoying lawyer? The irritating neighbor? A theme in this story is that everybody here thinks they already know everything. Everybody here believes their truths and values are the most important truths and values on the road. In this weird, uncomfortable, icky feeling you have about everyone except Jesus, in this story, Jesus says, Now, go and do likewise. Have mercy on all these uncomfortable, offensive neighbors and love them with all the mercy you have for yourself like you love yourself. Go out into the world and love your neighbors and yourself, trusting in God's mercy.